Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. There in the tomb, his body lay in waiting. The Lord of lords is silent in the grave. Then joys of joys, the news that he is risen from the dead. The death of death, he lives until this day. Hopes of hopes, our bodies raise eternal. Transform, renewed, the night of sin has passed. To this we'll wake, with hearts now pure and thankful evermore. And our dear Lord, we'll see him face to face. So Father, we ask that this morning, as we look at your word from Psalms 8 and Acts 2, would your spirit please be our teacher, your word be our rule, and your glory be our supreme concern, as you open our eyes again to wonder at the power of resurrection of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You can keep your Bible open to Acts chapter 2. That will be, in fact, Psalm 8 first. And for those of you who want to take notes, you can take a look at the outline that's there. I'll be following closely in this talk. Well, I imagine the TV news right after the first Easter to be something like this. News headline, Man from Nazareth defied death and came back to life. The news that follow, Three days after Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and buried, hundreds, three days, hundreds reported seeing him alive and living among them. So who is this man? How did he escape death and come back to life? Could he be the greatest magician or escape artist of our time? Or is he one of nature's freak accidents? Imagine you watch the news. What would you have concluded about this man that came back to life? In fact, what have you concluded about this man that came back to life all this while in your life? The question, I guess most of us in this room would believe that Jesus did come back to life. But the question for us this morning is, how does the fact that Jesus resurrected change the way we regard him and we treat him? How does the fact that he resurrected change the way that we regard him and treat him? The Bible insists that the very fact that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, resurrected, tells us something very important about him, who he is. He is not someone that we can forget after a while, like David Copperfield. No. And this is what the Bible demands you and me to grasp. That the resurrection identifies and enthrones this man, Jesus of Nazareth, as God's long-promised Christ. In other words, through Jesus' resurrection, God is pointing out to the whole world, to you and to me, that this man is the Lord and the judge of the whole world whom he has promised. Today, I'll show you from the Bible where does God say that. But first, I want to take a moment now to start you thinking about the word Lord, the Lord and the judge of the world, the word Lord. Now, the word Lord probably sounds a bit distant 
and probably Victorian to many of us here. There aren't many, there aren't, not many, there aren't any lords that I know here in Smack One. But in reality, we are actually quite familiar with the concept lord. A lord is a master or a ruler or a leader. He is a person who has authority and control and power over others. We listen to the Lord. And that sounds more familiar, doesn't it? Because every way in our lives, we see rulership and we see lordship. At the corporate level, in our workplaces, we see managers and GMs and MDs and CEOs. They rule our companies. At the national level, we have our members of parliament, prime ministers and presidents. They rule, they give direction and order to our countries. At the international level, we have bodies like ASEAN and UN and G8 and EU. They help nations to rule the region and the world collaboratively. So now I think the existence of such ruling individuals and ruling bodies all around us suggests and reflects something about us, humanity. It reflects our urge to rule. It also reflects our need and our desire to be ruled. That is to be ruled well, of course. We long to be ruled by good and righteous and selfless leaders. We value the contribution of such leaders. And we also strive to rule and to govern well in the different contexts that we find ourselves all the time. Now, the Bible has an explanation for such an instinct, such, such an impulse in man to rule. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 8 that was read to us earlier. Psalm 8. Anyone who found the Bible page first, please shout it out for the rest. It's not easy to navigate around the Bible. Such a big book. It's 540 on my page, if that helps. Okay? But as long as we can hear the flipping of the pages, we will wait for a while. Okay? It's good. Psalm 8. In this psalm, it is King David who is talking. And King David is talking to God. And this is what he says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the bees of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea." Well, from the psalm, under whose feet has God put everything? Very clear in verse 6, under man's feet. That is, under human's feet, right? Just as God has said in Genesis 1, God said right at the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. So what is the role, what is the position that God has given to man in his creation? 
to rule. Man is to rule. And why has God given man such a significant role in creation? According to Psalm 8, verse 4, verse 4 says, because God cares for man. Verse 5, God wants to crown man with glory and honour. That is, God wants to share with man, with us, the glory and honour that comes with his rule. Now, let me ask you, do you think Psalm 8's portrayal of man is an accurate and realistic portrayal of humanity that you know today? Well, yes and no, isn't it? Yes, we do rule and we do take care and we do govern our world. And yes, we do, it, we do do it quite well, sometimes and in some places, but definitely not the way that Psalm 8 described. In fact, we are quite far from it. God wanted man to rule his world, but by rejecting God as our ruler and try to run this world our way, we ended up messing things up. Centuries of world history shows how bad we are. An honest look at our own families, our own neighborhood watch, our townships, our city and its river, our countries, our neighboring countries, our region, our world, shows that we have not been very good rulers of this world that God has put under our care. So the inevitable question is this. Can man ever rule well? Can any man in flesh and blood ever rule well? Yes, we have the instinct to rule, but can humanity ever rule this world as God intended us to? Or has God, and has God, given up his plan for man to rule this world? Well, the answers to this question should become clear as we work out what the resurrection tells us about who Jesus is. We'll take a look now at the passage that was read to us earlier in the book of Acts. It is a speech that is delivered by a disciple of Jesus shortly after they saw Jesus resurrected and ascended to heaven. This speech gives us a first-hand insight into how the apostles themselves explain to the people around them what the resurrection is all about. So take a look with me at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting from verse 22. But before we read that together, there are two things that I need to tell you. Two things that you need to take note about what, Jesus, uh, what Peter is saying concerning the resurrection. Firstly, the resurrection points us to the Old Testament. Resurrection, you see, is not God's sudden random idea that he came out with one fine first century morning. It wasn't a eureka moment for him. No, it has been his master plan for the world for a long, long time already. So in the Old Testament, you can actually find God speaking a lot about the resurrection. So consequentially, for you and I to understand what the resurrection is, we need to understand the Old Testament. 
And this is why we see Peter here quoting the Psalms as he tries to help people to understand Jesus' resurrection. Secondly, you need to understand that what the Old Testament says about resurrection isn't just for resurrection's sake. No. Most importantly, the resurrection points us to who Jesus is and what God is achieving through him. So with that two points in mind, let us read Acts 2 together, starting from verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucify and kill by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. You see, here the apostle Peter quoted from Psalm 16 in the Old Testament. It is written by King David, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus. In this psalm, David talked about his expectation of eternal life. For the Lord God will not abandon him to the grave. So Peter stood up in the crowd and he argued and explained that King David did die. His body did see decay. So David couldn't have written Psalm 16 about himself. He died. He must have written prophetically about someone else, someone who will come after him, one of his descendants. That is the one that God has promised him way back in 2 Samuel 7. The one whose kingship God will establish forever. For God has said to David in 2 Samuel 7, let me read that to you, 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. God said to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, 
and I will establish his kingdom. He shall put a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That is God's promise to David. So in a nutshell, Peter is saying that the fact that Jesus resurrected shows that Jesus is the Holy One, the Messiah, the Christ, whom God has promised to David long time ago. The fact that death could not hold Jesus down shows that he is the Messiah whom God has chosen to rule eternally. Jesus is God's eternal king, whom David was looking forward to in Psalm 16. Do you follow the argument so far? I hope so. A lot of blank faces. It's not easy, but I've given you the references. You can read again when you get back. Peter then continued arguing in verse 34, saying, For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord say to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This time, Peter quoted from Psalm 110 in the Old Testament, another psalm by King David, and Peter used it to explain that King David did not ascend into heaven to sit at God's right hand as the ruler. And David said in his psalm, the Lord said to my Lord. He did not say the Lord said to me. So David couldn't be talking about himself again. Jesus, however, resurrected, ascended, and seated at God's right hand. So he must be the ruler God chose to rule over the nations and judge them. Jesus of Nazareth is God's Lord and Christ, David wrote about. So Peter concludes in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The other Acts passage, the other sermon that was read to us was Acts 13. I won't go through the whole sermon with you. It's good that you have a read again at home. It's Apostles Paul's speech in Antioch. As you read that again, you will notice that the Apostle also quoted from the Old Testament as he tried to explain to people what the resurrection is all about. He quoted from Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Isaiah 55, and Habakkuk 1. And using those passages, he argued that all the blessings that God had ever, ever promised to King David can only come provided one of his descendants reigned in his throne forever. And the only way that that can happen is if God raises the descendant from the dead and live forever. Otherwise, the promises will not be fulfilled and the blessings will not come. And therefore, in that sermon, Paul says, that has already happened. And that happened on the very first Easter when Jesus of Nazareth was raised to life. So in summary, what have we seen from these two speeches from the apostle? It's this. Through Jesus' resurrection, that we are sure of. God is openly and loudly and clearly pointing out to the world, pointing out to you and me that this man 
the Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on Good Friday, who came back to life on Easter Sunday, this man is the Lord and judge of the world, whom he has promised would come, and he has arrived. Most of us in this room probably believe that Jesus did come back to life, as I mentioned. The big question that I posed this morning was, how does the fact that Jesus resurrected, this man resurrected, change the way you regard him and you treat him? The apostles and Jesus and God himself will expect nothing less from us, from you and me, from the whole world, than regarding and treating him as who he really is the Lord and judge of the whole world. With regard to judgment, Paul addressed the crowd in Athens saying this, the times of ignorance, we can claim that we didn't know, God overlooked. But now, after the death and resurrection, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So friends, how have we been regarding and treating Jesus Christ? I guess at a very deep level, only we ourselves know how we have been treating him and how we have been regarding him. We know and only God knows. Who has been our Lord? Who has been our master? Who has been our chief? Who has been our boss? Who has been the captain in your life? Through the resurrection, God made it very clear. There is only one Lord and only one judge. Jesus Christ. Now, as I try to draw to a close, let me pull more strings together. Firstly, it is important at this point for me to clarify that the apostles were not simply saying, what is so amazing about Jesus' resurrection is that God promised, God made a promise to David that someone will rise from the dead and voila, 1,000 years later, someone did rise from the dead. God fulfilled his promise and he proved that he can raise the dead. No, it is, it is much more than that. What the apostles were saying and arguing passionately is this. God made a promise to David in the Old Testament that a man will come after him, his descendant, a son of David, who will rule God's world, finally a man, rule God's world perfectly for eternity, bringing with him the blessings of forgiveness and peace and salvation along with him, bringing with him all the blessings of a restored world order that God has ever promised in the Old Testament. Why? For he is the Messiah that God has promised. For example, one of the promises in Isaiah chapter 9, let me read that to you. God said, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The resurrected Jesus is he whom Isaiah speaks about here, who will bring in a perfect peace of the justice and righteousness in his rule. We began this morning by asking these questions. Can man ever rule? You look at our leaders, you look at ourselves. Can man ever rule? Can any man in flesh and blood ever rule well? Yes, we have an instinct to rule, for God in his love made us rulers. God wants to crown man with glory and honor, sharing with us the glory of and honor that comes with ruling. Humanity rejected God and messed things up. So can humanity ever rule this world as God intended us to? Has God given up his plan for man to rule his world? Well, today we have seen very clearly that the resurrection of Jesus shows that God did not give up his plan for man to rule this world. God did not give up his plan for humanity to rule this world. As a man... Jesus suffered and tasted death for everyone on the cross. But his humiliation in suffering and death was only a prelude for his glorification. For God raised this man from the dead and crowned this man with glory and honor. God highly exalted him. He ascended and seated at his right hand. You see, through the resurrection, God has restored his purposes in creation by re-establishing humans as rulers of creation under him again. Christianity is not about a legendary man whose great teaching lives on after he died to rule the community of believers, giving them principles and ethoses on how to rule the world well. No. Christianity says the resurrection declares that there is now, among humanity, a real living man who rules everything. And he rules it well under God as he intended. And that is Jesus Christ. Christ has now been crowned with glory and honor, and he's presently ruling over everything. And he rules it well in order to bring sons and daughters, Christians, to glory. And his rule is perfect, and he will achieve his end. He has been glorified after his suffering. His sons and daughters will be glorified after suffering. When Christ returns, believers will reign and will rule this world with him. Let me end by reading to you from Apostle Paul as he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The reason I chose this verse is, here, Apostle Paul is telling his, his, uh, his next-in-line commander 
Timothy about what the gospel is. And I suspect what he says here about the gospel will shock you because he included the Old Testament. So, in a way, what Paul says here will sort of summarize what this sermon is trying to say. Christ didn't appear haphazardly. He's a fulfillment for years of promises that God has made. And the second thing is that here he mentions that Christ reigns and believers will reign with him, the idol of lordship and rulership. Let me read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul tells Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if you died with him, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. With that, let me pray. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who is persistent, persistently committed to what you have started. You have made man to be rulers of this world, to rule under you. And despite our failure, you did not scrap the plan, you did not scrap us, but you stay committed to us. You have achieved in Jesus at a high cost on you what we have failed to do. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who came to live the perfect life that we failed to live, and yet he died the death that we all deserve. We thank you for the wonderful gospel that gave us what we do not deserve. Thank you for salvation in him. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins. And thank you for the hope that one day we will reign with him. We will rule this world under you as the way that you have made us to. So, Father, we ask that now as we continue to live our Christian life waiting for our Lord Jesus to return, that we will live this resurrected life, spirited, resurrect, spiritually resurrected life, recognizing that Jesus is the Lord and that we listen to him and that we obey him, knowing that, Father, his way of life, the way that he teaches, the righteous life is the way that life ought to be. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.